your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Adrian gets the snap, holds it, looks, sets, throws, pass, caught, one, yeah, first down, hits on the 20, 15, shoots the defender, 10, 5, touchdown, Nebraska, Juan Dale Robinson's first touchdown as a Cornhusker. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. One of the first tweets I read today, pretty bad mood for me today. Should be watching opening day all day today. Instead, I'm watching my dog chase and bark at birds for the 74,953rd time in day in a row. The author of that, that tweet, <laughs> Ben McLaughlin, the author of that tweet. Happy opening day, Ben. Happy opening day. Pretty terrible opening day, to be honest with you. Yeah. Not a lot Not a lot happened on the ball diamonds today, which was pretty infuriating. The, honestly, this affected me more than the first round of the NCAA tournament did. Um, don't know why, but I, I, maybe just because it's been a week. <laughs> I've had to endure another week of this, so that's probably soured my mood already. <laughs> but, yeah, not having baseball today was pretty rough. Today would have been the day you would have had jam-packed action on, on ESPN, MLB. You'd have had games that would have started at about noon and got over about 1 a.m. tonight. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I think the reality it, with each passing day kind of sinks in even a little bit more. It's like, oh, doggone it. That should have been going on today and, and not the case. Major League Baseball, like the rest of the sports world, in a holding pattern um, pushing everything back until they can make a determination. Major League Baseball, I think, made the determination they would not even kind of even utter a statement again until on March 31st, which is next Tuesday. So we're still five days away from that. But yeah, that's that's sour, right? I mean, this would have been, this would have been, this is a great day. I know the weather sometimes not very good at some ballparks, but this is a great day to celebrate the sport. And it's it's been taken away from us, at least for the time being. Yeah, definitely. And you know, I think it just kind of fits the mood that that's been happening. And look, I get it. There, there, there are people uh, around the world right now that are going through a heck of a lot more than us not being able to sit on our butts and watch baseball all day. I get, I get that, and I, and I'm not naive to the fact that there are families that are suffering, and and obviously the healthcare workers and um, just just workers in general in the grocery stores and manufacturing and that are really going through a rough time right now and and the amount of layoffs that have happened in this country um, and the unemployment filings that are at a astronomically record pace the last week. I understand that there's a lot else happening other than us not being able to watch baseball. But at the same time, you know, these sports are feel good thing. These make people feel good being able to sit and watch baseball or um, golf you know, whatever it is that that people enjoy doing and spending their time that that's taken away from them too so you know it just it just really stinks it, it, it's just the weirdest feeling i wake up thinking this every day how bizarre of a feeling it is myself personally feeling fine my wife feeling fine obviously my dog's in tip-top shape based on the tweet earlier today you know like to wake <laughs> up and feel okay and and to just have this feeling of isolation and um you know hunkering down it's just such a weird feeling and then to have on top of it sports taken away from you as well big events like opening day not happening you know it truly is a, just a, a it's it's something that i never thought that we would ever have to go through and and yet we're right in the thick of it and you know today was just a milestone checkmark box of having something else taken away from us a lot of people you know are playing 
Xboxes. They're maybe pulling out their old Madden games and playing video games to do some of that type of thing. Be kind of cool is if you could kind of simulate a baseball season. I mean, that would be kind of cool if you could do something like that. Yeah, I think uh, there an idea there. Some, I think you might be onto something. Um, don't know that Maybe. we're ready to to divulge <laughs> what we're working on just yet. Just, we're still working out, throwing that out there as a possibility, work, right? Working out some potential kinks <laughs> right now, but let's just say our brain power is being used by for more than just taking our dogs on walks and. You know, getting creative in the kitchen with new meal ideas. Um, yeah, the, there there will be hopefully something in the near future that would uh, that will pass the time in a in a competitive manner in one way or another. And I'm not have talking you, about Famous Dave's Face Off. Right? Have you been Have you been doing any video games? I I really haven't. I'm not. I I'm not I have um, lately, like the last week. Apparently, there's a new Call of Duty out, and all the sports people are tweeting about it. So I thought, you know, I'd give it a shot and. It has occupied some of my time, but I'm I'm just finding myself getting mad and frustrated at those that are much better at the game than I am, and I don't like to play anything unless I'm good at it. So it's been a it's been a rough go. But yeah, I have I have dusted off the old Xbox in the in the last week to two weeks. Because you you were massively into Fortnite, weren't you? A couple years ago. Yeah, I I was late getting into that as well. But my one of my best friends was like what you would call an addict. And uh, and convinced me and another buddy because what happens for those unfamiliar with the game is you can play with a group of friends and he could never find enough to fill his team and so he he recruited me and another buddy that who we were hardcore video gamers in college um, so he knew that he could probably get us hooked on it and he did uh, but yeah I was a little late to that party as well but I did I did I did dabble in some I don't know if this is Fortnite still or I don't think very many uh, people play that anymore no. I haven't heard much much about it but i think that's old yeah. time. tim are you into video games at all yeah i try to be um i'm a big uh, big fifa guy uh that's uh, mm -hmm. soccer for all you uncultured people out there um but I've, I've been playing right now this is game called animal crossing it's like this really it's kind of hard to describe and it sounds really boring when you describe it but you're basically just like this guy going around a neighborhood just like fishing and building up your neighborhood it's like really relaxing i mean there's basically nothing happens that's interesting. There's no violence to speak of. There's no explosions or anything that anyone would describe as exciting. But I don't know. I really enjoy it. It's just kind of like you're like tending to your garden. I don't know. It's it's a, what, it's a what's thing. the objective? Just to there really live? is it. I mean, it's just kind of like you're going with the flow. <laughs> it's a it's game like, about nothing. It's a game about life, and that's kind of what life is about. Sometimes, you know, it's just yeah. about hanging in there. Sounds like something you'd be interested in, Tim. <laughs> All right, I'll take that as a compliment. How, I don't think how, is, your gar how is your garden looking, by the way? It's not good. Uh, my, my watering can broke, and I don't want to build a new one, so it's probably just going to die for right now. But, you know, it's I'm, I'm hanging in there in other areas. Okay. Doing good at fishing is what I'll say. <laughs> Well, Man, can you what? barter your fish meat into a new water can? Yeah, I've got to pay off my house loan. Uh, it's very, very steep. <laughs> so I've been selling fish at the store to, to try and pay that back. But it, it, at a certain point, it starts to get too real where you're like, I'm basically paying off like a mortgage. And I don't, I don't think that's the most fun thing in the world. But you know what? It's, it's all good stuff. Ben, what, give me a, a, a great moment for you as you think back to opening days. Does anything stand out to you that... I mean, I'll go back to the one in, in 2016 with the Royals, and they played. We talked about this last night on Famous Dave's Face Off, that where they played the Sunday night game against the Mets, and they got, you know, they raised the pennant and all those. I mean, those are the things that give me chills to think about those moments for the Royals. What about you? 
Yeah, I mean, I think just those, those, those big moments, right? I mean, a couple of years ago, the Cubs played the Marlins on the first game on ESPN, and uh, oh, I'm, I'm blanking on the guy's name now. The Cubs had a, a player that, that hit a home run. and um, Was it uh, Rhodes? Um, no, it was, not, it was not a player that was in their everyday rotation. I think it was a, it might have been like a platoon second baseman. But anyway, you know, just to have that moment, you know, the first home run of the first season – uh, another one that sticks out to me was, you know, I, I was a Braves fan back in the day and Jason Hayward's rookie year, he homered on opening day. And, you know, of course that, that got you real excited. You know, here you go, you got this young 20 some year old rookie who, who goes deep uh, in his first game. And, and, you know, all that's exciting. I think, you know, all of them really, even just not the ones with teams that I'm interested in, You're just watching the aces pitch again and to hear, you know, the optimism from every franchise is amazing because usually what happens to those baseball fans they'll watch you'll tune in and out to six or seven different games that day and and every one of them is talking about how great their team's going to be talking about right. this prospect talking about talking about all their acquisitions talking about how this guy improved to get hit in the breaking ball against left-handed pitchers you know whatever it is it's just fun because everyone's in, in such a good mood um and you know everybody's undefeated so you know, honestly, Greg, even to even the year after the year after you're talking about where Royal, the Royals gave up Hosmer and Moustakis and Kane and Escobar, that that team was supposed to be terrible. And they dominated opening day. Right. You have a, you have Lucas Duda. You have all these guys <laughs> mashing the ball all over the place on a rainy day in Chicago against the White Sox. And you're thinking this is going to be great. Shoot. We might win 90 games this year with this bad team. So, and that's, so that's just what the feeling that I miss is just, you know, having the ballpark sounds have talking about all the new teams and the new players and and obviously the trades and that that's just what i miss the most well that leads us into tonight's runs a twitter poll what is the best opening day across sports your options opening day of mlb march madness the first round week one of the college football season and then you can also put another and if you pick the other Leave us a comment what your other would be. I'd like to read some of those. We'll do that throughout the show. But, again, if you're not following us, you certainly can do that easily on Twitter. At Oscar Sports is a follow. We have some fun with Twitter polls, recap some of our interviews here on Sports Only, and when, when we're playing games, we also have highlight packages that we put out uh, when the Oscars are competing games. Well, well, not only would today have been opening day for baseball, it would have been the start of the Sweet 16 round. We, we'd have games tipping off right now, Ben, for the Sweet 16, so there's another kind of punch to the gut, thinking about, wow, this is a, this. These are some of the best games of the tournament. Are the ones in this the Sweet 16 round and the Elite Eight round for teams trying to get to their ultimate goal, of making the Final Four. Uh, so there's another kind of punch to the gut. You don't have college basketball tonight, which makes today with opening day just a more would have been. It's one of the better days of the years in sports when you have that combination going. It is, and then you know you got the Masters coming up too. So you've got right. kind of three big things, and to me, that's that's the official kickoff of of spring, is when you've got baseball happening, you have the Masters, and then of course the NCAA tournament happening as well. Yeah, it's just it's tough not to have any of that right now for sure. Yeah, right now week one of the college football season, winning our Twitter poll at forty four percent. Well, because there is no college basketball, we were able to lasso Jay Billis. From ESPN, he's a college basketball analyst for that. We'll come back. Ben's going to sit down with the lead analyst on ESPN, Jay Billis, a former Duke Blue Devil who's won a national title himself as a player for Coach Krzyzewski. We'll have that interview coming up next. 
alongside Greg Sharp, Tim Curran producing for us back in Lincoln. I'm Ben McLaughlin. Happy to welcome on our first guest of the night. Real treat to be joined by Jay Billis of ESPN, men's college basketball analyst. Jay, first of all, thanks for joining us, man. How are you holding up through all this really strange situation? Well, I am hanging in there just like uh, I hope you are, and it's uh, it's unprecedented uh, what we're going through, but we'll uh, we'll all get through it together. There's no doubt. Well, we should be talking about Sweet 16 matchups and how our brackets are in the trash right now, but uh, unfortunately, that's not the case. What's what's it been like for you, who's been around the sport your entire life, to not have the NCAA tournament right now? Well, it's I certainly miss it, but I think I I uh, am hopefully keeping it in perspective that there are people who are missing things that are a lot more important than than basketball games, and and even though I think I miss working and and you do too, and so many people miss watching it, there were people whose livelihood was attached to the tournament and to the NBA, uh, people who were independent contractors and hourly workers and the like. Uh, so the, the effects of this go far beyond, you know, I wish I could, could be, you know, sitting at a basketball game. That seems almost like uh, an amusement park ride compared to what, uh, you know, having to miss an amusement park ride given what, what other people are dealing with. But um, it's been odd being home this time of year, but uh, you know I'm just trying to make the best of it and, and hopefully help out where where we can. Yeah, and there there that that's been cool to see. A lot of the NBA players, or not a lot, but there have been a handful of them that that have gotten involved. Kevin Love, Zion. There's been a, there's been a handful of them that that have pledged to help those those people that you were talking about. You're, you're around this game every day. What what's just the sense of community like, especially when things like this happen? Not just in the college game, but the National Basketball Association as well. Yeah, I don't think it differs from uh, sort of basketball or the sports community to any other uh, community, business or otherwise. Uh, I think most everybody is thinking beyond themselves, and at least most reasonable people are thinking beyond themselves and trying as best they can to stay connected with their colleagues and friends and family. And even though we're not able to go about our daily lives as we normally would, uh, I think it's important. I'm, tr- I'm trying the best I can to make sure I'm reaching out to, to my friends and colleagues each day, uh, not everybody each day, but, but making sure I'm keeping in touch so that, that people know, hey, you're thinking about them, and, and if there's you know, maybe anything you can do, uh, you're, you're there. And I, I, I still think that's really important. There are two things I'm trying to do. One, reach out to, to people, and two, get up in the morning and get dressed so I don't wear sweats every day because <laughs> I was getting into that habit for a while. i got to get out of that. You're uh, 50% ahead of me on those two things. Um, so, you know, I, I guess I, I have some work to do to catch up to you even. Jay Billis from ESPN is our guest. Jay, what's been the reaction? A lot of the coaches and and you know just the people that are involved in this, you know that that you've talked to that you know that had seasons end and and all that stuff that to to kind of comprehend what's happened to them the last few weeks. Yeah, it's been an evolution. I think I think early on uh, the Wednesday and Thursday when uh, uh, when the tournament, the NCAA tournament was canceled, and the conference tournaments of the major conferences were canceled. That that sort of that Thursday. Uh, I think there was a lot of among coaches sort of a competitive response that they were devastated uh, for their players and, and their teams and, you know, the chance to compete and things like that. And, and coaches were looking for, Hey, maybe we could postpone and start it up this way and do it this way. And, uh, and maybe looking for a way out uh, to, to still be able to play. But I think it evolved into, 
hey, this is way more serious than than a basketball tournament. Not that they ever didn't have that in, in, a, in proper perspective, but just sort of the idea that I think we were all wrapping our heads around this is going to be a long process, and and it, it, it's far deeper than just hey, we're going to have to we're going to have to miss playing games. Uh, campuses are shut down, and uh, you know businesses, and and it is this is going to be a a long protracted uh, fight in a lot of different ways. Uh, so, you know, basketball and, and, and the, the spring sports and all these things, you, you don't want to diminish it, but it's secondary. I mean, there are going to be people, there are going to be people graduating and their, their whole second semester is gone where they can't, uh, you know, be with their friends and go through the normal process and, and internships over the summer are, are gone. Uh, a lot of graduating seniors probably won't have jobs. Uh, when they get to the fall because of the, the fallout from this economically. So uh, I think I think most of the coaches I've talked to have it in, in really good perspective after initially maybe all of us uh, were, were hoping that against hope that, that something could be salvaged. And now I think everybody realizes that's a, that's a pipe dream and not going to happen. Jay, we're talking a lot about kind of the, the after effects, the ripple effects of this um, the, the, for, mo- for most of this interview. But let's rewind a little bit to the conference tournaments when there was so much unknown. We were literally figuring it out on the fly. When, when, when that day, uh, I believe it was a Thursday, where everything just the domino effect. You know, the NBA started it the day before, but then the tournament started getting canceled. We had one game in action in the Big East. Um, and then a lot of them, you know, teams were on the floor warming up. What was that day like for you, just kind of seeing everything unfold with so many at that point unanswered questions? Well, for me, it started the day before on Wednesday that a lot of a lot of my colleagues will point to, and it's not incorrect or anything, but they'll point to Rudy Gobert uh, as testing positive and then the NBA canceling the Utah-Oklahoma City game as, as sort of the tipping point. Uh, for me, it was the World Health Organization declaring uh, a, a global pandemic. I mean, that was, for me, a huge deal. And sort of that was the tipping point for me that we're not going to be playing any more games, uh, that the season's over. And so that night when the NBA essentially suspended play and, and canceled the rest of its season, uh, maybe to restart it, uh, I knew we weren't going to play the next day on Thursday. Uh, and and I, I really believed it down to my socks that, that it would be irresponsible to play. Um, so I, I just assumed that uh, I, I'm probably going to get a phone call early Thursday morning that says, look, don't come over to the arena. We're going to do all of our all of our work via studio and out of the hotel, things like that. Well, that wasn't what happened. We went over to the Greensboro Coliseum and all indications were from the commissioner of the, the ACC that the games were going to be played. Uh, but played with no fans, and I honestly couldn't believe it. And uh, it got all the way up to the noon hour, right before the the tip of the opening game of that Thursday, that we thought we were going to be playing. I mean, Florida State and Clemson were warming up for the game, and uh, and it just felt so tone deaf and wrong. Um, but I think most people realize that this was. Uh, headed in a direction that that you know ultimately everything was going to be canceled, but. I think one of the things, and the NCAA made the right decision and all the conferences made the right decision. The fact that it might not have timed out as we'd like, uh, as we would have liked, that's a secondary concern. But if we are going to talk about coordination, that's one of the failings of sort of the NCAA structure is it wasn't very well coordinated from the uh, NCAA office in Indianapolis through all the conferences 
uh, in order to, to, one, speak with one voice and, and disseminate information from the advisory panel that they had, and then the NCAA's decisions, which were essentially separate from everyone else's. And, and I, I think that was a, a failure in leadership, but it was more structural than it was you know, a failure of a, of a leader or group of leaders. I mean, I think I, I commend uh, the NCAA and uh, you know, Mark Emmert and his leadership team, Danny Gavitt, and especially the independent directors for the decisions that they made. But in, at the time, I, I thought it could have been better coordinated. That's the only sort of caveat. Yeah, very well said. I would agree with that completely. Jay Billis from ESPN is our guest. Jay, uh, the other part with that that's kind of stemming from this and the NCAA is going to vote on it is the eligibility factor. We were on our way to Wichita to call baseball between Nebraska and Wichita State, and that was our first thought driving home was what's going to happen to the eligibility of our seniors, uh, the, the spring sports that have only played 15 of their 50-plus games but you also had the winter sports who had seniors have their seasons cut short. What are you expecting is going to happen? I guess the better question is what should happen with the eligibility, knowing what it could do to scholarship numbers, uh, you know, the, the flooding of rosters, and obviously what's fair to the student-athletes. Well, I, th- I think first what I think is going to happen, I think the NCAA, by speaking before they were thinking, painted themselves into a corner. So I think they're going to allow – all spring sport athletes to have an additional year of eligibility because of the loss of, of the season. Uh, what should happen? I'm not sure I know the answer to that, or at least the, the absolute right answer. Um, it, it's sort of the equivalent of, of we all feel badly for uh, especially the seniors, but for all players that are losing a, a, you know that, that season. I mean, they prepared for it. They're ready to go. I mean, you feel awful for everybody. Uh, but one thing I would I would point out that that I feel awful for every senior out there that didn't get their second semester, and so because we feel badly about that, I would ask the the question almost rhetorically: Do you think we should allow all seniors to come back and experience the second semester of of college? And and you know the feel good answer is yes, they should. They should be able to to sit on the quad in nice weather and walk their graduation and do all these wonderful things. It'd be great. But what do you do with all the all the people who are becoming seniors? And what about the people who are coming in for dorm space and college housing and all these other things? I mean, it's a it, there's a lot that goes into this. And and do you, so if you allow all the seniors to come back, then you also have to allow other players to say, wait a minute, this has materially changed my decision. So I should be allowed to go somewhere else and play. So I don't have to sit another year behind a senior. And a freshman coming in saying, wait a minute, I was coming into a team that was not supposed to have any of these seniors. And I should be allowed to make a different decision now because my situation has materially changed. So uh, what do we do with them? It's kind of like it's kind of like if a if a airline flight uh, cancels, you just don't pile everybody onto the next flight. It doesn't work that way. And I'm not sure it works this way with eligibility. It's one of these things that's horribly unfortunate but it's a it's sort of a similar question you'd have with the Olympics. Like, what do you what do you do with the Olympics? Do you say, okay, well, uh, Lolo Jones would have qualified for this Olympics, so she should automatically be in the next one uh, because she she might you know she might not qualify for that. That's not fair. Uh, I, I don't know what you do with it. it. It's it's very very difficult. But I think what the NCAA will do is allow them to come back, and then each individual team will have to make a decision on how they want to manage it. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. The domino effects to this, I, I don't know that you can find the end of the butterfly effect of 
uh, going down that rabbit hole. But you know, somebody's got to make the decision sometime, that's for sure. Jay, before we cut you loose, want to ask you something that you've been very vocal about, uh, name, Im- image, and likeness, the NIL bill. Nebraska and Scott Frost and Bill Moose, the athletic director here, announced a couple of weeks ago that they're going to partner with a social media campaign and a company that was branded and built right here in Lincoln called Open Doors to help their student-athletes build their brands. They've kind of already started that. What's what's your thoughts on, you know, Nebraska kind of taking initiative on this thing and how it could be so beneficial for the student-athlete? Well, I don't know all the details of it, but I think it's great that uh, that Nebraska is doing that. Um, and it's, a, it's an area where the athletes can benefit and the university can benefit, the conference can benefit. The whole, it benefits the whole enterprise. If, if athletes were allowed to use their name, image, and likeness for monetary gain, uh, it would open up so many new revenue streams for the university because the university would be free uh, if, they, if they, the NCAA sort of uh, relented on amateurism restrictions. The university would be free to partner with the athletes in, in the use of their name, image, and likeness and the university's marks in order to, to – find new avenues of, of, uh, of revenue. I mean, that, that would be a win-win for everybody. Uh, it would work similar to, they could do group licensing. There's all kinds of things they could do. I just don't think the NCAA is going to be willing to do it. And I think what you're going to see or what we're going to see is the NCAA will, will basically punt on transfer restrictions so that they can throw all their energy behind fighting name, image, and likeness and doing so in, in court. You know, they're going to sue the state of California and the state of Florida and, uh, and try to get an antitrust exemption from Congress. Um, they, they don't want to let the athletes make any money, um, and they're going to fight it tooth and nail. And I think they're going, to, they're going to try to fix everything that makes them look bad in front of lawmakers. And the transfer, uh, their transfer policy is, is the first among those things that they're willing to give up on so that they don't have to allow the athletes any, any compensation at all. Wow. I mean, this is a whole nother conversation for another day to get into that, but crazy to think about, and especially for them, you know, with this whole pandemic and making the right decisions. And obviously there's, there's plenty on their table as there always is, but some big, big decisions looming for the NCAA. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. Jay Billis from ESPN joining us here on sports nightly. Jay, thanks so much for giving us some of your time tonight, peeking inside your brain and, and passing some time for us on our show. Thank you so much. No, thanks for having me and everybody stay safe. Yeah, you do the same. Jay Billis, ESPN, with us here on Sports Nightly. And, Greg, as you know, Jay's not a guy that's shy of opinions and <laughs> you know has a lot of thoughts on a lot of different areas. And, you know, one of the things that he's kind of one of the ringleaders on is he's a huge advocate for these student-athletes to get paid for their name, image, and likeness. And, you know, you heard, you heard the interesting stuff there. And it's something I never even thought of, the NCAA willing to – compromise one of their rules with with uh with the transfer in order to fight this i I never considered that you know and basically a picking your battle for the ncaa boy i i don't like that idea of thinking at all if if that's the case well we'll see i don't know that anybody really knows what's what they're thinking jay's certainly been he's been very much anti-ncaa for decades now he's really fought them in a lot of different avenues i I was interested when you guys brought up the name rudy gobert and I, i it I wonder how the history books will look back at this pandemic, Ben, and if Rudy Gobert doesn't test positive for COVID-19, does the NBA pull the plug when they do, which I think triggered this whole thing, don't you? I think when when the NBA made that announcement, 
about the time Nebraska was taking the court to take on Indiana and Indianapolis, it really set the ball in motion for these conferences to go, whoa, wait a minute, the NBA's walking away. What are we doing running kids out there at the Greensboro Coliseum with Jay Billis about to call the game the next day? It'll be interesting what, what, how Rudy Gobert's name falls in the history books of this whole thing. Well, I said at the time, and I, and I still firmly believe that, if not maybe more so today, that that will be one of the iconic images of this entire mm-hmm. situation, sports-related or not. Um, I think what that, that situation did is it, it brought it to the heart of sports fans a lot faster than what it would have. I thought Jay Billis brought up a good point when he, when he said, you know, the World Health Organization using the word pandemic. I don't know that it would have trickled down into the sports world for maybe another week to two weeks. I think – that process went from zero to 60 in like 10 seconds when the Gobert thing happened. I think that, you know, it was a slow-burning fire already, but with the Gobert testing positive and canceling that that Thunder Jazz game, what that did was just dump a bunch of kerosene on top of the fire and get that ball rolling a lot faster than what it would have otherwise. It would have hit the sports world eventually, but I don't know that it would have happened as quickly as it did if we didn't Agreed. see a professional professional athlete um, come down with it. And then, you know, as, as, as Jay said, you know, the, the fact that each conference had to look at this individually and there were so many voices, Greg, we were set, sitting at a place in York just waiting for the next conference to call it. Instead of yeah. having the NCAA just come out and say, we're in charge of this thing, we're shutting her down, it was a conference-by-conference thing. And every 10 minutes there was another one doing it. And I, I would agree with Jay again that – that caused a lot of confusion. You know, we're like, okay, well, we're getting ready to play Wichita. Has the American banged yet? Nope. So, so far, the Big Ten and the Americans still haven't. So, I guess we're two of the conferences that are still playing sports. Inevitably, they all canceled it. But it was a really confusing time for sure. Well, Thursday nights, we always have a chance to sit down and talk to our guy from Chicago, Teddy Greenstein. He's originally from New York, but now calls the second city his home. He prefers seeing a yellow card over an icing call. His choice in pizza is still up for debate. But his knowledge of sports spans from boxing to yachting. Here's the worldly Teddy Greenstein of the Chicago Tribune. Well, I trust you. You're washing your hands for 20 seconds every time, a couple times a day. Yeah, it's one shining moment, right? That, that's the song we sing. Or, um, you know, maybe if we want, really want to depress ourselves, we'll try to... Uh, you know, think about the Masters jingle <laughs> because <laughs> once the calendar turns close to, to April, that's what I'm always thinking about. But yeah, I mean, I went out and played golf yesterday, uh, wrote about it, and uh, was very sure to, you know, to bring wipes and to follow all the new precautions. Uh, but we got some bad news on the golf front today, my man. They shutting it down? Yeah, so this decision just came down a little bit ago. Um, I mean, our governor Pritzker and mayor Lori Lightfoot, I mean, they are as intense and serious about this, I think as maybe anyone in the country outside of New York. Um, you know, so this morning they decided to shut down the entire lakefront. So people aren't even able to, you know, to jog and, and, and do those kind of activities, bike ride and and rollerblade and all that. And then just about an hour ago, um, they reversed course in terms of golf courses. They had said Tuesday afternoon that courses could stay open. And I went out to a place called the Village Links of Glen Ellen in the western suburbs. And everybody was, you know, out and about. And it's good for the economy. And we were all maintaining six feet of social distance. You know, nowadays <laughs> you take a golf selfie and 
one guy's flies by the flag stick, another guy's five feet away from him, or six feet, another guy's way away. So we really thought we did it right and didn't put anything at risk. But um, now they've decided they're going to shut down all the Illinois golf courses. Uh, so just kind of another blow to those of us who are looking for uh, something to do and, and, and a way to be outside in the spring. Darn it. That that seemed to make a lot of sense to me that you'd be safe outside doing that and practicing that, but that's that's too bad. You uh you've been doing a little bit of this work, right? Some radio work the last couple of weeks. Yeah, you know, Greg, they uh they had me sub in on the score with Dan McNeil uh, last Friday. And what's interesting about it is when the show started, Dan was saying, Hey, I am coming into work Monday. I need to see the person I'm working with and uh, he's, you know, always worried about technology. He's worried about his laptop not working. Um, they're using an app called Lucy. And then midway through the show, we ran uh, the press conference with Governor Pritzker, and that was, you know, really sobering. And they basically said, you know, for the state of Illinois, we have only one chance to get this right. Uh, so after that, during the show, Dan said, okay, I am not coming in Monday. I feel like I shouldn't be doing that. And, and I got to admit, it was strange coming in, you know, on Friday to do the show. Um, there has been somebody who tested positive in that building. It's a big, you know, downtown Chicago building. And, uh, you know, you walk around in the lobby and you really only see security people. So that's strange. And then you go upstairs and um, it's just a whole lot of Purell and empty offices. So very, very strange. Um, you know, I, you can certainly chime in on this, but it just seems like right now, you know, all sports talk and, and non-sports is, is being done remotely. And I, I think we have the technology to make it sound good. And, uh, you know, it's not as easy with the two hosts are trying to communicate with each other, but that's a small price to pay for, um, you know, a, a big upgrade in safety there. No doubt. Today was to be opening day. Would you have been involved in, were, were the, well, the White Sox were supposed to be home, weren't they? Yeah, I, I wanted to say I thought the no, actually the Cubs certainly the Cubs. were. The Cubs are going to be playing today. Yeah, okay. so that would have taken place a, a ten minute walk from here. It would have been an ugly, dreary day. Classic, you know, Chicago <laughs> turnaround. Yesterday was fifty eight and sunny, and today's rainy and kind of garbage out. Um, I probably would have uh, would have been involved, given how small our staff is these days. I, I would be writing a column uh, about a Cubs game and and expectations for the season. So. Um, such a strange world we're living in now. And I, I think just the uncertainty is what, what makes it so odd. I mean, you've probably read the same stories I have this week where everybody's freaking out about college football. And a lot of coaches are saying, hey, we need to we need to get back July 1st. I think that's a little extreme. Ryan Day, the Ohio State coach, said, hey, the, you know, it wasn't that long ago that, that people showed up to campus in August and started, started their training. So I don't know why July 1st is such a big deal. But uh, if this goes on another couple months, the level of freak out, it's going to be strong, not just for lovers of college football like us, but everybody who, uh, you know, has a financial stake in it because obviously football um, steers the bus and is what's, you know, what really pays for every program uh, at these universities. Teddy, I need my media days in Chicago. I mean, I, I need to have that, <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> Can you imagine how happy we'll be if, we, if I see you on July 22nd and July <laughs> yeah. 23rd and yeah. we get a sense of normalcy there? I would say that's like the first day of school and – Man, uh, there's no question that uh, whenever this ends, all of us are going to be so unbelievably appreciative of uh, yeah. of sports and everything it gives us. Yep, just a chance to walk into a restaurant again will be early uh, heyday yeah. moment. Spring ball certainly got interrupted for most of the country. Northwestern got maybe as many practices as about anybody did. Maybe a slight advantage. 
for the cats. Have you yeah. have you had conversations with Fitz about what they got done in there about what seven eight practices they had? I did talk to Fitz. You know, he uh, always does it super early. They they start in um, in February and then kind of split it up. They got eight practices in. Um, and Michigan State, their opponent in week one got zero practices mm. in. So, uh, you know, slight advantage for Northwestern. Now, I think that is going to balance out somehow. They're certainly talking about, um, you know, a, a term like prorating it or, or balancing it out. So it's not like uh, just a clear advantage for those who started early. I mean, it's funny. When I first heard about this, I was saying Fitz is going to be thrilled if it gets cut off because he detests a spring game. It used to be a spring game, then it was a spring open scrimmage, then it was a spring open practice, then he called it a spring event. He basically, it's kind of like Matt Nagy. He doesn't want to risk anybody getting injured unnecessarily. So if it were up to him, he would just do his practices and you know there'd be no event. I mean, you probably know about this, but like in the 70s and 80s, I think they used to have alumni games. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. alumni, wouldn't they get in pads and play, yeah. play the, the varsity? varsity? Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? So, um, but anyway, Fitz was able to get a lot of practices. And now what they don't have is Peyton Ramsey, their new quarterback, the transfer from Indiana. He is still uh, weeks or maybe months away from uh, actually joining Northwestern. And they cannot wait to get him uh, acclimated to the offense. Well, one thing, we've been talking a lot of football on our shows. Thank goodness to the NFL. We're right in the middle of that free agency period. And the Bears have been really active. What kind of buzz are the Bears creating around there? Well, so there was the first one where everybody said, you've got to be kidding me, which was the signing of Jimmy Graham, who everybody you know thought was over the hill two seasons ago. And they gave him a bunch of money, uh, the tight end, who you know, most recently was Seattle. I think he was at the Seahawks last year. That was strange. But they're certainly getting a better reception for um, bringing in Nick Foles. So they were able to acquire Nick Foles from Jacksonville, give up a fourth-round pick, and all of Chicago is – anxiously waiting and debating, is he going to be the starter? Does he actually have to beat out Mitch Trubisky? You know, I think Bears management still wants Trubisky to to have the job and win the job. They gave up so much for him. They obviously traded up for, you know, the number two pick in the draft. Uh, they gave up three mid-round picks. So who is it? Is it going to be Nick Foles, who was a Super Bowl hero, but was terrible in Jacksonville last year, didn't win a game for the Jaguars, I think in four starts? Or, you know, is it going to be... Trubisky, who, you know, I think nine out of 10 Chicago sports fans have just given up on because he wasn't reading defense as well and was not terribly accurate last year. Yeah, that'll be, it's been wonderful to have at least some news. It'll be interesting to see what they yeah. do with their draft here coming up in, in later in April. Well, do you, do you have a to-do list right now? I mean, it, it's, it's, we're all in such uncharted territory. What, are you, yeah. you have a project in mind you're going to work on? Man, I, I thought I would my email uh, inbox would be down to zero now, but somehow it's still at four hundred. So I really gotta, I really gotta focus on that. <laughs> um, I, I have a bunch of books that I thought I would have read by now, but still haven't got to. I want to read the autobiography by Jay Williams. You know, the, the Duke All American yeah. guard who uh, I know a little bit, who was playing for the Bulls and got into a motorcycle accident. Um, I also have a book out here, "God Save the Fan" by Will Leach. Um, back when he was with Deadspin. I want to read a book by Steve Russian, who's just a brilliant writer. So there's certainly that. I, I love the 30 for 30s, and, and I would rewatch half of them if I could carve out the time. Um, in the Greenstein house, um, 
we've been watching Curb Your Enthusiasm, and we've been allowing our 11-year-old to watch, which I found oh, out boy. is probably a mistake. You don't realize how dirty that show is until you're watching with your kid or your parent. Yeah. Um, I've been watching Hunters on uh, Amazon Prime. And uh, it is fun to, to, to rewatch some old uh, sporting events. I, I watched the uh, Michigan Northwestern basketball game, the one that ended with Nate Taphorn firing it uh, all the way down the court to Derek Parton. It's so fun to see these games because we all remember the final play, but we don't remember what happened with four minutes to go You know that sets up the final play. So there's certainly been uh, some good rewatching of uh, events like that. Well, be safe, uh, stay healthy, and we'll look forward to chatting with you again next week. That's awesome, Greg. Be well, man, and uh, best wishes to everybody listening. Thank you. We're back Thursday night edition of Sports On A. Greg Sharp with Ben McLaughlin, about to be joined by Tim Kern and Josh Okeman as we jump into this week's 7 on 7. It's summer. The Huskers are sharpening their skills with 7 on 7 drills. We're keeping Greg and Ben in shape during the offseason with some 7 on 7 of our own. Seven topics A seven nation army couldn't hold me back. from sports for Manning seven touchdown passes to pop culture. I never joke about my work double seven. It's time to go seven on seven on Sports Nightly. Well, welcome into seven on seven. Uh, it's not exactly summer as our open lied to all of you, but hey, uh, it is the time of coronavirus, but uh, we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to dwell on that here on 7 on 7. We've got seven wacky topics to bring you all. I just hope that uh, Ben and Greg are ready for this. So bring ready. It. Bring it on. <laughs> uh, I got a good one to start out with. I think you guys will like this. Uh, you probably might have seen this floating around on Twitter. So Jeff Goodman of WatchStadium.com, he asked every single Division One men's college basketball coach, all 342 of them, and in fact, I think all but like four or five got back to him, um, asked them what their favorite movie and TV show was. So Fred Hoiberg, he chose Seinfeld and Caddyshack as his duo. So the begs the question, uh, does Coach Hoiberg have good taste? And also, uh, what would be on your guys' list of the favorite movie and TV show? Well, Seinfeld was the number one pick by all the coaches. I mean, it, it had the most votes of anybody. Some Game of Thrones in there, but pretty much Seinfeld across the board. Yeah, thumbs up of approval for me. I'm not a big Seinfeld guy myself, but uh, there are a lot of people are, so no qualms with me at all. My TV show would be The Office. My movie would probably be, if I'm going... Oh, it's hard to. You want to go comedy or do you want to go like, like drama? It's tough. Do you watch well, dramas, Ben? I do. Well, like <laughs> thrillers, you know that type of deal. There you go. Um, while you're thinking, I'll I'll give you the results from the coaches. The number one votes and the, the highest voted one was the Shawshank Redemption was number one. Godfather was two. Gladiator three. Hoosiers four. Those are the top four of the coaches. <laughs> Hmm. A collection of cinephiles, <laughs> which all those and movies are good, but I I don't know if any of them would top my favorite movie of all time. I, I'm with you. For the what for is the, yours, Tim? For the um, it's 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 very obscure. No, I'm kidding. I, Citizen it, Kane. It's in. I do like <laughs> Citizen Kane, but it's not my favorite of all time. Um, I mean, I am wearing my Star Wars hat, so I might as well stay on brand. It is my favorite. Well, what is it? Star Wars. Um. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard. I don't really have a favorite. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's too impossible. It's like, that's just not, it's not a fair question. Just just for the sake of be different favorite since TV The Office show is, has got to be Sopranos comedy. or Game of Thrones. But favorite movie, it's almost impossible. I can't do it. I can't. I'm Sopranos. going The Office and I'm going Saving Private Ryan. Those are my The two. Office was not on the top ten for the coaches. 
The for the TV show Seinfeld was one, Martin was two, The Wire three, Curb Your Enthusiasm, and Game of Thrones tied for fourth. Um, I tend to lean with Ben. I, the Office would be really high up there for me too. Uh, with Seinfeld, I, I love the Seinfeld episodes when those are out. For a movie, um, heck, I'll throw Moneyball out there. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. I see what it is. Shot I fired. see how it is. Tim, what <laughs> do you think of Moneyball? One of these days, <laughs> I will get around to Moneyball. It needs to appear first on Netflix, or maybe you guys want to be generous, rent it digitally for me, and I can mooch off you guys, but we'll see. I'll watch it one of these days. Josh, where do you come down on this? I, I'm leaning probably toward the office, too. Like, I, I love TV shows, and there's a lot on, on that list for me, but I think the office is where it's at for me. I, I, I really struggle with the movie category, too. I'm not a huge movie guy anyway, and so it's hard for me to pick out pick out one that would be at the top of the list. So I'm, I'll, I'll throw another TV one that would be really high in my thing was Friday Night Lights. I love Friday Night Lights. That's good. Nice. It's, it's, not, it's not office good, but it's, it's good. Well, it's if a totally I could, if kind I could, of show. If I could pick up a backup uh, TV show entourage for me. Ooh, that's pretty strong. Yeah. Nice. Love it. This is a good category because we've got our flicks picks coming up later on in the hour. That's right. All right, uh, moving on to topic number two, the Los Angeles Rams introduced a new logo and new team colors earlier this week that they'll debut in the upcoming season. Corresponding uniforms will be unveiled later this spring. So first, what are your guys' thoughts on the Rams' new uniforms? And second, what professional sports team or teams do you think most need a logo and or color change good question um hmm. i thought the rams logo resembled their season last year which was garbage <laughs> I, I mean does it not look like the it's la fair, chargers no. <laughs> like it's it bad. looks way too much like the chargers agreed logo with the way that it's designed it's stupid um who needs a boost the cleveland browns <laughs> yeah classic though you probably upset a lot of people oh. um, classically bad I mean classic is one thing if it's good and iconic theirs is just yeah. boring boring yeah man I don't I don't know that's good that is a good one I did not like the Rams logo at all the uniforms whatever but that logo is not not good yeah it's and I saw that Eric Dickerson is like trying to get a campaign going to get it reversed as he should really yeah, that's bad. Yeah. Give me his... um, give me a team like the Rays, somebody like that. I could just use a. Just needs a. It needs a whole fate. I mean, there's a lot that the Rays need to fix, but let's start with the logo. <laughs> New right. stadium would be a good start. Yeah. <laughs> New location for the franchise would be an even better yeah. start. Coming from the guy whose favorite team used to play in the Hubert H. Humphrey. <laughs> hey, hey, gas hey. bag dome. <laughs> Take it back. Yeah. Uh, okay, moving on. To fight words there, Tim. That's right. Maybe maybe more on that stadium next week. We'll see. Yeah, maybe. we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> uh, moving on to number three from a couple of months ago. A man in Michigan named Howard Kirby bought a couch and some other furniture at Habitat for Humanity. He later found a box with $43,000 in the couch. Kirby went back to Habitat for Humanity, who helped him track down the person who donated the couch and returned the money. So what's the most money oh. you guys have found laying around? You know, this isn't the most, but it, it's the first thing that jumped in my head. And as a kid, it's basically like finding that much money. I was at Skateland one day, and, we, we, you know, we, we 
usually you go there to skate. Well, they also had like an arcade. And, you know, the most the most of your parents would shell out would be like one or two bucks. And so you'd get like eight quarters or whatever and play two rounds of Papa Shot and be done. But there was one time that me and my best friend were like third or fourth grade, literally skating out of the place. And I found a $20 bill on the ground. Whoa. And we literally cashed it all in for tokens. And we basically <laughs> got all, all you could play nice. at the arcade. And it was epic. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. This happened to me a couple of months ago. One of the first times I kind of grabbed my winter jacket out of the closet, ten dollar bill right there, and I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> score!" It's your own money, though. Nice. Yeah. Well, that's true. Nice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hadn't hadn't had it for seven or eight months. It, it didn't draw interest. I, I've hit a couple Our, of big wins at uh, at local wager shops, but some would say you have to earn that. I remember when I was like maybe seven or eight, I had hid a bunch of money and it was like actually a good deal all the money i had probably at the time i had hid it in one of my toys and i didn't look it was like a toy truck and so like i f ended up finding it probably a year later i'd completely forgotten about it and so it's my <laughs> own money so it's probably cheating a little bit but i was overjoyed to find it at the time because that's probably amazing like 20 30 dollars which was a lot at that time for awesome that age but all right, well, we're going to move on, and Tim said this off the top that we're trying to avoid stories related to coronavirus here on 7 on 7, but this one is too good, uh, and it's heartwarming too. So a man in France named Elisha Nakomovitz is confined to his apartment in the town of Balma, and since he had been training to run a marathon, he's decided to do it anyway. He ran 26.2 miles on his balcony, and it took him nearly seven hours to complete. He did it all though on his 23 foot long balcony, just running back and forth over and over and over again. So <laughs> what are some, some things that you guys have had to change over the last couple of weeks or some fun ideas for bringing activities that you do normally do in a larger space into a smaller one? Josh, you can relate with that guy. You've run marathons oh, and distance yeah, races I'm, before. I was, I was signed up for the Lincoln half this year. So that is is I'm, done so I, i'm not gonna off. run inside i'm not gonna run inside that's not happening so imagine the discipline that, that would now. take to just oh, keep oh, doing man. that for seven hours imagine that's living underneath under the floor below that guy that'd be worse I mean, than <laughs> running on a treadmill to me right it would i've worse. turned my uh i've turned my basement into a, a studio and i mean we were it's not really utilizing space but my wife and i to kill the time have been crushing board games we played Monopoly the other night, which was my, you know, it's my game. What, what was your my character? Game. Oh, the race car all day. Me too. Day. We, we did it the other night. Uh, I even played Sirius on my phone as I ran down the stairs like I was <laughs> getting ready to play like I was going through the tunnel walk. Yeah, we've dug out some puzzles, some stuff we've not done in years, and it, it, it's in a way been kind of fun to do some stuff like that. How'd Monopoly go? Any, any, I dominated. Uh, any sore dominated. feelings? I dominated. <laughs> and I didn't have very good properties, but what I did is I bought the cheap ones and I got the hotels, you know, the houses on it, and so I just crushed them early in the game. So you passed on the greens and the dark blues? Well, I didn't get to them before the other ones did, so they got them, but I got the cheap ones and then bought the houses and ran them out of money before they could hurt me in the end. Man, I was a quick, I, a quick strike. That was my, that was my game plan going in. Get after it early and often. Yep. Nice. Yep. Yep. One more thing on this, Ben. Do you remember shaft ball? Oh yeah, I forgot about that. That we would be a, that would be a good indoor a, game at like this point. Like a ba in, indoor baseball park. What? Yep. Stuff awesome. started to get pretty violent though. Like we're <laughs> it, popping, we we're popping a uh, blinds off. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. It was 
fun, but not it's safe. Really fun, yeah. Moving on to number five. There's a Tim's house. bored of that one. He, he's ready to move Tim's, on. Tim's done. <laughs> Shot clock <laughs> Shot violation. Sorry, Tim. Move on. Uh, there's a house near Hartby Sport, South Africa. That's probably how it's pronounced. I don't speak Afrikaans, so we're going to go with that. Uh, which isn't really notable other than the fact that the house is completely upside down. So when you're looking outside the house, it's on its roof. Uh, when you walk inside, you're standing on the ceiling. Uh, the floor and all the furniture and appliances are also hanging from above. Um, what else in your guys' life would you want to experience upside down? I mean, I suppose Australians experience it all the time <laughs> since they're down there. But And the water in the toilet bowl goes back the other way, too. I, <laughs> I, I, I think that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I think. It's in the top three for sure. Thanks, Ben. I don't um, know that I care to do anything really upside down. Yeah, oh, I don't on. really have a huge desire to do that. Like, if you, um, I guess you don't want to walk on your own ceiling, I mean, that might be something. Well, I guess if you were in zero gravity and, like, in outer space and you're floating around a capsule, that'd be okay, I guess, but... Yeah, I don't have a huge desire. Like, I'm just imagining the blood rush to my head. How about this? Would you want to live in, like, a novelty upside-down house, at least for a little... I mean, not, like, permanently, no. but would you want to, like, stay in it for a night? You know, not, and just get a not even for, like, two hours would I want what? that. What? I would walk through it and be like, okay, yeah, seen that. It was cool. All right, so man, back to my home. Man of man, curiosity. You are a lot more fair curious enough. about this house situation than I. <laughs> I suppose than I am, I, Tim. <laughs> and I, I can't. I I, you know, you said you don't speak African. I could have swore that was a requirement of your position. We might have to assess that. <laughs> it's Af this Afrikaans, weekend. not African. Afrikaans. Whatever. Afrikaans well, is the well, Dutch <laughs> variant of the. Could have swore that was a requirement for your position. We'll oh, have yeah. to talk about that this weekend. It's, it's fair. It's fair. Fair enough. All right, topic number six. Deborah McKenna is a 63-year-old woman from Maine who lost a high school class ring back in 1973. The ring was given to her by her boyfriend at the time, who was later her husband and passed away a couple years ago. But the ring that was lost in 1973 turned up last month, and you'll never guess where. It was found buried under eight inches of soil in a forest in Finland. So Whoa. what's something that you guys have lost or lost a long time ago that you'd like to find? Isn't that amazing? I read that story when that came out, and she's even like, I have no clue how it got to no Finland. Yep. I mean, she's from Maine. That's where she lost right. it. She hadn't traveled to that part of the world at all, so obviously somebody lifted it. That's or insane. Moved it. What's it, So wh what have we lost what's and then found? What's something that you've lost, like something in your past that you've lost that you'd like to find? Mm. That's a great question. That I've lost so much stuff. Yeah. If, if you um, want, I can start with this. If you yeah, have yeah. time to think. I, I, the reason I asked this question, there's, I've talked about this with my family a lot over the years. We, growing up, my siblings and I had a lot of tape recordings. We do all sorts of like fun, like um, different scenarios and like pretend to do different things. And so we had a lot of funny tapes growing up. And there was one that was especially funny that we like to listen to listen back to and make fun of ourselves that we lost when i mean it was probably 15 20 years ago that we lost it and we've always talked about what it, wouldn't it be funny if it turned up and we could listen back to it uh now that we're adults and see if it actually was funny or not so yeah that's that's one thing that that's a good one for me i can i can think of something and this is completely random but i i had a babysitter when i was like six or seven eight maybe i don't know i was i was young and my first pair of baseball cleats um i don't know why they were out but they were at this park and one of the and the the babysitter had two daughters and they buried my first pair of baseball cleats in in a sand volleyball court 
And when I was like, well, where's my shoes? They told they told us that they buried them in the sand. Of course, we were digging in the sand for hours. Never found them. So mm. lost my first pair of baseball cleats ever to wow. some girls burying them in the sand. That's traumatic. Tragic. That I mean, bad. I haven't forgot about it, clearly. Yeah, you're yeah. still holding it. <laughs> Tim, you got anything? <laughs> um, no, I don't think. I mean, I, I like to keep things pretty close to my, my vest. I don't lose a lot of stuff. I know my sister, <laughs> when we were in Arizona visiting the Grand Canyon, she lost her camera, and a nice elderly couple found it just lying on the ground, and they we and she also had her phone in her camera bag. I should forgot to mention that. And we managed to use GPS tracking, and we called the phone, and the nice old couple picked up, and we, we tracked it down uh, for her. Also, my aunt it left, uh, left her camera... I think on a crowded subway train in Tokyo, and she got to return back to her hotel. So <laughs> that's uh, the family wow. likes to lose stuff. I do not. I keep things pretty close. Mine's on the similar line. We were on our honeymoon in Hawaii. We were visiting Pearl Harbor. We get out of the taxi, and we're 30 seconds away from the taxi have left, and we're like, oh, left the camera in the back seat. Oh no. Tried to run after the car, couldn't catch it. Tried to call a number, never got it back. Wow. Missed a lot of honeymoon photos. Yeah. Oh, no. (laughs) That is brutal. Uh, (laughs) That brings us to topic number seven, our final one of the day, and this one's a a good one. (laughs) One month ago today, a man in Florida named John David King used a lighter and plastic bag to set fire to his hospital bed because he felt the nurses were ignoring him. So, of course, that leads us to the natural question. What's the most desperate thing you've done to get attention? (laughs) (laughs) Become a talk show host? (laughs) I mean, yeah. That's fair. Um, (laughs) Other than than what you're doing right now, I mean. (laughs) Man, that's that's an... I mean, I I, I have something in mind, but I don't know that I want to say it because it's embarrassing. (laughs) That guy's got issues. That's the point. We saved it for number seven for this reason. That guy's got issues. Serious issues. Yeah. No, really. Yeah. You could say that, you know. I used to, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't think any guy hasn't done this, but like in high school, like if there was a girl I was trying to impress, I would like make up stuff about my life to make me seem more interesting than I was. Yeah. So you're not an Anything FBI specific? agent? <laughs> no. Not a, Wife's not, still learning that one. She still thinks I'm <laughs> undercover. Not a millionaire, not an international man of mystery. Wow. Very shocking. Very shocking. Oh, guys, I'm looking at the clock. We probably better hit the break. Anybody have one last thing on this or not? I think we're good. No. <laughs> Please end the segment. <laughs> the guy burned his bed. I can't believe it. Oh, good stuff. Well done, boys. Good stuff. No sports on this weekend, but we've got you covered. I know everything about film. I've seen over 240 of them. Time now for Sports Nightly Flicks Picks. And action! There we go. We started this last week. Ben McLaughlin, I think this was partly your brainchild, was it not? Yeah, uh, no. I can't take credit for this one. Uh, I think this no? is Nate Rohr. I think this is all Nate. Um, wow. So okay. shout, out, shout out to Nate Rohr. Uh, <laughs> but sure, I'll go ahead and go first. I've got one show, one movie. The show that I started watching, uh, I can't recommend it quite yet, but I need to get a few more episodes in, and it's still holding my attention. It's called Casual on Hulu. Uh, it's about a, a brother and a sister who live together, uh, the, and then the sister has a, a daughter, and they just kind of go through life together. And it's uh, it's a mixture of comedy, drama, uh, not terrible. So I'm gonna stick with that for a little while longer. The movie, underrated old film, Primal Fear, with Richard Gere 
and Edward Norton. Oh yeah, um, just an yeah. awesome movie that I watched again the other night, and I would highly recommend it for those that uh, that have not seen it. Yeah, wasn't Edward Norton like at a work as an all boys school? school? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, boys school, yeah. Okay, Tim, Josh? Yeah, I uh, caught the first episode of Tiger King uh, last night out of morbid curiosity. All I can say is insane rednecks and tigers. <laughs> what more could you want, really? You'll meet the man, Joe Exotic. I don't know if you want to, uh, but you'll meet him, and uh, it, it's a lot to take in, but uh, uh, you definitely can't look away from Tiger King. Okay. Yeah, Tim, that was actually on my list for ones that I want to watch because I've heard a lot of people talking about Tiger King as a... Uh, a docu-series that, that's interesting on Netflix. So I, that's something I've, I'm planning on on checking out this upcoming weekend. One show that I've been uh, watching a lot this past week because, uh, you, you know, the NCAA tournament is usually on this time of year, and uh, the first round of games last week were on, usually some are on True TV. Uh, Impractical Jokers is a show yeah. that's usually on on, mm-hmm. on True TV, and so, you know, I, I've kind of felt the urge to watch it, so I've been catching up on a bunch of Impractical Jokers episodes. Not they bad. did it. They did a show out at Pinewood Bowl last fall. Yeah, la- yeah. Right. I think it was in August or September. They've got a movie that I heard was not very good, but I I get a kick out of the show. All right, the yep. movie I caught a movie over the weekend. Walk the line. It was Great. about the life of Johnny Cash. Reese Witherspoon, I think, won some Golden Globe awards for that. I'd seen it before, but I'd forgotten a lot of it. So Great I did movie. catch up on that. And you guys know how I like the, the. I usually have the Golf Channel on a lot, so I caught up on a couple of Golf Channel documentaries. One was called Tom at Turnberry. It was a story of the '09 British Open that Tom Watson, at age 59, nearly won. Yeah, um, bogey the 18th hole, or he would have won it. Lost in a playoff to Stuart Sink, and I also binge watched a couple of Faraday episodes. One of them with Beer. Woodland, a young man that I've known for a long, long time. He won the U.S. Open last year. Good stuff. Hopefully we helped you out. Tomorrow night, we will have our greatest games. We're going to dip back into the 2018 season. Scott Frost's first season in Nebraska, the Huskers' victory over the Michigan State Spartans. Hope you enjoy that tomorrow night. We're back with you then on Monday. Our Sports Highly Hotline brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. What a fun hour, Teddy Greenstein. Seven on seven was a blast, and our flicks picks for the week. Hope you enjoyed all of that here on this hour of Sports Nightly.